The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Uh, Good evening, my friends. It is another weekend. Let's have a little fireside chat about money. That's what the show is all about. Uh, Core holding uh, in most Canadian uh, portfolios uh, are those Canadian banks. Uh, they're pretty slow, steady, Eddie. Uh, I've been in the business for over 20 years, and I've watched them pay their dividends consistently and grow consistently. Uh, Scott Chan, uh, bank analyst with Canaccord. Uh, pleasure to have you back on the show, my friend. Happy New Year to you, too. Your sector continues to perform quite well, you know, decent, to single to low double digit returns plus dividends scott uh not very exciting but you know something i think a lot of canadians like that type of uh uh recipe not too exciting slow steady eddie uh, do you just is there more of it for the next five to ten years in the banking sector do you think or do you see ultimately the sector coming under threat through financial technology aka fintech disruptive technology uh what's your take scott yeah, you're right, uh, Wolf. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, Canadian banks have been steady at eight returners over the past uh, 35 years in Canada. Uh, all of them have reported double-digit average total returns, including uh, dividends. And if we look at the next five, 10 years, I see no reason uh, that won't be the case as well. And, and you're seeing year-to-date right now, uh, the Canadian banks are up about 7%. On, uh, on, on a hawkish news from the U.S. And, and, and just all the rate hikes that are getting priced in, uh, which uh, disproportionately benefits the Canadian Bank PNC operations, which have been uh, a headwind uh, somewhat during the pandemic. But a lot of green shoots uh, in terms of resumption of loan growth, uh, pent-up demand there, and, and just higher margins generating better revenue. Uh, in terms of fintech, uh, you know, behind the scenes, the banks are investing themselves uh, in technology. Uh, it has been increasing each year. And uh, on top of that, too, they are partnering with a lot of fintech firms as well uh, to also add capabilities to, uh, to, to kind of prepare for the medium term over the next five, 10 years. Well, they certainly have a long way to go, uh, and financial technology can uh, allow them to advance uh, their ability to, you know, turn over, for example, uh, loan applications and become more competitive uh, in the bidding process uh, on the loan application uh, side of things. Um, but speaking of which, uh, again, the, the link between the Canadian banks and the housing market, I think, has never been stronger. And, uh, you know, pundits have been continuously pointing and uh, forecasting a demise, uh, if not a demise, a bear market in uh, the Canadian housing market, you know, globally the most expensive housing market uh, th- that exists. Uh, what's your take, the exposure that the Canadian banks do have to the housing market uh, and the banks' uh, continued appetite to support the housing market? Yeah, so um, the exposure is high. 
uh, the Canadian banks, it's the uh, the marquee uh, portfolio, um, you know, within their uh, Canadian PNC operations, just specifically talking about Canada, you know, it, it could be as high as 50% if, if you if you look at a CIBC. Wow. Uh, so housing and, uh, you know, the decades of price increases um, and demand have certainly helped bank stock performance. And even last year during the pandemic with low rates, mortgage growth was low double digits. So that's not going to be sustainable this year, but we could see high single digit range uh, in terms of mortgage growth. And that's certainly uh, slightly higher than historical averages that would help support growth for the banks. I think it's going to be more front end weighted uh, the growth. So as, um, as rates do increase in the back half of the year, we would suspect mortgage growth to slow in the back half, but there's other portfolios that, uh, that have lagged that, that should help, uh, that, that should help, uh, you know, cover that, uh, slow down in terms of credit cards more specifically, which has lagged uh, during the pandemic for obvious reasons. Uh, Jack, uh, you, you want to pipe in here? I know you're a supporter of the Canadian banks. Yeah, and it's, it's hard not to be Wolf. They've uh, they've done exceptionally well. Last year, they did 38%, just looking at some of the numbers here. Um, so look, looking at the banks here, Scott, um, one thing is appreciation, but the, they're also able to, to buy back shares now uh, because some of the restrictions are gone and then also return money to shareholders um, in, in dividends. So what, what are your forecasts there and, and which names do you like for income growth? Yeah, so um, in terms of buybacks, um, uh, we have modeled in just over 2% for fiscal 22 and 2023 collectively. Uh, that said, the banks are in uh, record capital position. So uh, what we've seen before uh, pre-pandemic, if you look at TD, uh, they bought back a lot of shares and then uh, we applied to to, uh, to buy back more if there was an M&A opportunity. So there could be upside to our buyback forecast um, as we go through the next two years. Uh, in terms of dividend growth, uh, all the banks did a one-time catch-up dividend last quarter uh, as Aussie uh, halted that since the onset of the pandemic. So on average, it was about a 16% catch-up across the group. BMO and National were highest. And going forward... So uh, sorry, Scott, if I may inter- 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 sorry, I want to interrupt you. What, what do you mean by uh, catch-up? And, and you may want to explain to the audience what, what P- uh, PNC is. we got to be careful we don't over-jargon them. It is Saturday night oh, after all, my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PNC is just uh, the segment, personal and commercial. So just personal and commercial loans. Uh, and when I say catch up, uh, last quarter, uh, all the banks did uh, a one massive dividend catch up because they were um, they were inhibited of doing it during the pandemic. So uh, you know, going back to March 2020. So when it, you say catch up, was that was that a special dividend or was that because they missed a dividend payment? Uh, yes, yeah, they missed dividends, so that their payout rate. Oh, they did miss. Were, they did miss a dividend. They did miss a dividend payment. Missed several dividends. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't raise dividends since the onset of the pandemic. So back going back to uh, to March 2020, Aussie halted it. So once they got the green light late last year, they all did a one-time catch-up dividend. And what we're going to see going forward is uh, the resumption of dividend increases every other quarter. And we've averaged about 6% growth. So, Scott, I, I missed something. I apologize. I, I, I don't mean to belabor, belabor the issue. I just want to make sure I understand this. Because there's a saying on Bay Street that Canadian banks have never missed a dividend. I said that at my open. I think National Bank oh. did once about 30 years ago. So, you're, going back to the catch-up, 
Did they actually suspend the dividend for a quarter or just not increase the dividend? Oh, they just didn't increase the dividend. Okay, so they continued uh, so to pay the dividend. Allowed- they continued to pay the dividend. They just were yeah. otherwise going to increase the dividend, but the pandemic came, and the regulators prevented them from raising their dividend during the pandemic. Is that what happened? That's right. So the banks okay. didn't raise their dividends for call it like eighteen months or something like that. So once I move fast, you move faster, right. Scott. I gotta, you know, what I mean, those guys, I'm basically like to move a little quick sometimes. I gotta <laughs> slow it down every now and then. That's what Jack's here for. He he slows me down, eh? Uh, <laughs> it is Saturday night after. We're gonna have some fun here. Is a show about money, by the way, my friends. If you're just tuning in, Scott Chan. Bank analyst uh, on Bay Street, uh, directly uh, on the team of Canaccord and Wolf on Bay Street. It's a pleasure to have such brilliant minds working uh, with us. And, of course, we're talking about investing in the Canadian banks. Um, you also cover the insurance stocks. Um, Manulife, uh, Scott, has been dead money. Did mm-hmm. I say dead money? I meant dead money. It's been dead money for, I don't know, a decade? Uh, I don't even have to look at the charts. I, I stopped looking at the stock which is probably the time to be buying the stock. So let's talk about the Canadian insurers for a minute. And if you don't mind, let's start with Manulife. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Manulife has, has significantly underperformed. Um, it's got a lot of legacy issues, uh, you know, in our book that people worry about. Insurance is a long-dated uh, business. As you're aware, it's long duration. And whenever you have a low-rate environment, uh, it impacts the abilities uh, of, of, say, like a Manulife to, to to cover those liabilities in the future. That said, uh, what we're seeing now with recent rate increases, uh, Manulife would disproportionately benefit the most under our, under our analysis. Historically, when rates rise, they've got the most positive correlation. So uh, Manulife is the cheapest stock. Uh, it's got a lot of excess capital, um, you know, a growing Asia segment. It's a bit uneven now with COVID. Uh, it's got a it's got a, a massive global asset management arm that spans Asia, U.S. and Canada. Um, so we think there are opportunities at Manulife here, and, and I think we're finally going to see catalysts for the stock to uh, to do a lot better than it has in the past. Another star on Bay Street, and Jack and I have been looking at this name for some time, and I, I, I'm sure you cover it, and if not, I'm sure you can speak about it, uh, and that's Intac Financial. Uh, it's an insurance stock, but it's basically the, what, insure property and uh, uh, automobiles? Uh, yeah, I don't cover it, but I, I know of it. Uh, property and casualty. Um, it, it's been benefiting um, you know, for a long time because they've got really good pricing power. Uh, relative to the LIFOs, per se, on their contracts. So uh, they can price a lot more effectively, and, uh, you know, it's been a real benefit uh, to their claims ratio, which is basically the profit margin that they uh, that they operate in. And Intact is, um, you know, in, in a space where, where, you know, where they have significant market share as well. So uh, that has benefited them uh, in terms of the stock performance. We're talking money, my friends. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio is the show. Wolfgang Klein, portfolio manager. Jack Hartle, partner in your success. Uh, visit us on our website. Take a look at our performance. I think you'd be very, very impressed. I'm impressed. I'm pleased. I'm happy. Uh, the reason I'm happy is because my clients are happy. Uh, Jack and I have been running uh, returns, reviews for clients, and uh, the feedback has been overwhelmingly uh, positive. Uh, it's a good thing. That's what it's all about. Uh, love your craft and do it as long as you can. We're going to take a quick break, get right back to a talk about money with Scott Chan, bank analyst. We're talking insurance stocks, Canadian banks as well. 
dividends, dividend growers uh, in a low rate environment. It's a place you got to take a serious, serious look at. I'm certain that your advisor is. And if they're not, give us a call. Stay tuned. We're going to get right back to the Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I have to say, that is a profession of decline. Bank robbing. There's no money inside the banks. Uh, I'm renovating a home and uh, when I want to take out cash, I have to order the cash. Uh, they have no cash. Uh, yeah, I heard of a bank robber actually that took place. Uh, one of our clients is a police officer and told us the story of a bank robber that took place down by Hamilton Way. And uh, so they went in and uh, pointed their guns, got a bag, uh, took the bag, put it in their car, drove home somewhere out in Brampton. And inside the bag was virtually no money uh, and a, a GPS uh, <laughs> locator. <laughs> the police were immediately tracking these people right to their place of residence and arrested them. And inside the bag, I think it was $200. My friends, crime doesn't pay. Uh, and if you can't beat them, join them. Honestly, if you can't beat them, join them. If you don't like your telephone bill, I said telephone, uh, friends at home, okay, your cell phone bill. If you don't like that bill, maybe just take a little piece in the company. Right? Buy some Telus, buy some Bell. If you don't like the banking fees and you don't like the mortgage, maybe buy the bank. You know, it's the way to go. It really, really is. Hey, what's the saying? You know, eat your own cooking. Why not? It tastes better. I think it does. And buy what you know as well. You know, some some plain vanilla. It works for investing long term. Canadian banks are that. They really, really are. Scott Chan, bank analyst with Canaccord. Uh, always like to get refreshed uh, on the numbers. Uh, you know, I have to say, in an expensive market, uh, Scott, everything out there is expensive. Uh, Crypto is expensive, even after its correction. Well, that, that can be debated, of course. Uh, uh, real estate uh, is expensive. We all know that. Uh, food prices are going up. Uh, tech stocks that have corrected a little bit remain very, very pricey, very dear, those tech stocks are. And the reason being is interest rates are so low. But the category that remains very, very, I think, inexpensive with a PE of 10 or 11 or 12 are the banks. Um, you know, these tech stocks trade at what we call a multiple to sales, uh, the, the price to sales. Uh, uh, bank stocks trade on price to earnings. <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty boring, old-fashioned textbook stuff. Um, you, I, I got to ask, you know, Scott, why do you think that is? Why do the banks remain so, you know, inexpensive relative to the broad market? The, the broad market has a PE of 20, banks are 10, give or take. Yeah, the broad market, you're right, TSX would be at like 15 times right now. Uh, the banks are probably pushing 12, um, you know, 12 times. Um, I think these are old economy stocks, right? They've been around for a while. Um, it's a more mature sector. Uh, there's a lot less growth. Um, you know, save and attack and their sales multiple. But if you're looking for value and, and we're seeing that shift the value right now, 
if you want to be in financials and energy, the, these are the two cheapest stocks <clears throat> globally and on the TSX as well. And I think energy right now is even cheaper uh, just based on higher oil prices when I, uh, when I kind of read the sector numbers right now. So uh, old economy, traditional stocks, boring stocks and earn money, uh, you, know, you know, typically trade at low multiples, and that's probably going to be the case. But still, uh, you know, kind of still value and provides com- clients with more comfort and uh, return to uh, return of capital in terms of dividends. So um, I think that's why you need a diversified portfolio that, that, uh, that includes financials. I, I, Jack and I wholeheartedly uh, agree with that statement. Um, Jack, we got Scott here, so please uh, take advantage of him. Sure. Again, Scott, talking about interest rates, um, Bank of Canada is actually forecast to, I think Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, just this week said that they're forecast to increase interest rates um, January 26th, I think. What, what are your views there uh, in terms of, I guess, the amount of debt that Canadians have and how it's going to affect the bank? Yeah, the, uh, the pace of breaks uh, year-to-date, Jack, has just, um, has just been changing so quickly uh, just based on the market and what the Fed has been saying. Um, you know, I think the market has priced in four rate hikes this year, uh, but it could be five or six, right, as uh, some of the big haunches in the industry like Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan and Dave McKay at RBC earlier this week, uh, look, look, are looking at the high inflation in certain pockets, and uh, are uh, you know are, are talking about more rate increases sooner. So uh, I think that kind of alludes to that report that you're talking about that that there could be rate hikes sooner rather than later. And those and rate hikes, in, in we, we, that, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Jack. I say in that rate hike environment, it disproportionately benefits, as you said, the financials, the banks the insurance companies. Um, so you really want to know as an investor, as we transition from a very accommodative Fed to a more, uh, I don't want to say hawkish, but less accommodative, I guess is the word, um, which sectors do benefit and which sectors are going to be hurt. And right now you can see, as, as uh, we talked about before, some of these technology names are coming back to earth uh, from valuations of you know 15 to 30 times revenue, where the banks are trading at you know 13 times earnings and you're still getting anywhere from a three to five percent uh, dividend that is tended to increase over time. So know what you own and, and know who you're investing with, I think is very important as we transition into this rate hiking cycle. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, the, the life codes would, would benefit the most, especially on the long end of the curve, uh, which we're seeing and a steeper yield curve. Uh, and the banks disproportionately would benefit in that uh, PNC or personal commercial segment, which is our largest segment um on, on that front as well and uh you know the bank that's got the most leverage to rate hikes is td and as i said before in terms of the life codes it's manual life right in, ter- in terms of capital allocation for these banks now just getting back to you know the options that they have with their money they could you know buy back shares pay dividends or go out and make acquisitions um you mentioned that you know canadian banks it's a really a slow growth uh, environment so where they look for growth is outside of canada sometimes they do well sometimes they falter Wh- what types of acquisitions are you seeing that the banks are, are looking towards right now and then it, from what i've seen it tends to be towards the u.s but is there any um any names that you would like because of their acquisition strategy well the bank of montreal is the uh the first big six bank to make a, a massive splash over the holiday break when they bought bank of the west 
uh, in the U.S. from BNP Paribas and spent like over $16 billion on the acquisition. Yeah, that's so, big. That's big uh, for Canada. That's big. That, that's, that's one of the biggest acquisitions we've seen. Um, so the, the next bank that would most likely, in my view, make a large acquisition would be TD because TD has got the highest capital position and they can engage in a, an acquisition like BMO just did without raising any equity. BMO's got to raise uh, a little bit of equity to help fund it. Uh, so outside of PNC uh, in the U.S. markets, all the management teams are talking about wealth management and asset management as two key areas of focus for M&A in 2022. And you do cover some of the asset managers here in Canada. You cover CI, Fiera, Investors Group. Yeah. Which names do you like there? And, uh, you know, they have tended to trade at lower valuations as well. Yeah, the, the asset managers have, uh, have even more value because, um, you know, the, uh, the valuation discrepancies have increased so much in the last three months. So the, the asset managers are cheap. Um, I think the best reward, reward right now is IGM or Investors Group, as you talked about. Uh, they're playing offense this year, and they've played offense, frankly, for the last 12, 12 to 18 months in terms of acquisitions. Uh, and they've got a real uh, focus on earnings growth, where it was kind of muted for, for a long time. So, um, you know, I, IGM, despite it training a bit higher, call it 10 times earnings, pays almost a 5% dividend yield. Um, so you're getting value, but with growth through M&A uh, and all the transactions they've done in the past to uh, to help kind of support that. So, uh, so IGM would be, uh, I think, the best risk-reward play uh, in the asset management space that I cover. What about the U.S.? Uh, so sorry, Jack. And I'm just curious because you, you and I have a lot of exposure to the U.S. banks. Uh, if we can just get your opinion on uh, the U.S. banks versus the Canadian. Again, I know you don't cover the U.S., Scott, but... Obviously, you're very well versed uh, in the likes of J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, uh, Goldman Sachs. So, you know, from a macro point of view. So, how do you think they fit into a portfolio, and what's the relative valuation? Yeah, they they, they definitely should be put into um, to a portfolio um, to to help diversify. Uh, you know, similar to the Canadian banks, they they trade at a at a really big discount relative to the uh, to the S and P five hundred. Uh, you know what, they, are, they actually start reporting tomorrow. J.P. Morgan kicks it off tomorrow, like they always do. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see a lot there. I don't think the quarters will be uh, anything to write home about. It's all the outlook uh, that they're going to talk about. So, uh, when you kind of look at all the segments that these mega banks are in, and even the Canadian banks, there's massive tailwinds heading into 2022 uh, in terms of P&C, capital markets activity, wealth management, asset management, um, you know, they've got all the sector segments working for them. Um, so they should do well in terms of an outlook. Uh, in terms of valuation, the U.S. banks trade at a premium to the Canadian banks right now. Um, I would call it maybe two or three times. So um, they, they've got a bit more growth expectations. And, and that's why I think to diversify and to have some U.S. exposure with U.S. banks along with Canadian banks is, um, is probably the most prudent thing to do. Yeah, I was just looking. JP Morgan, well, Goldman Sachs looks cheap. It's got a six multiple on it, uh, Scott. JP Morgan has a 11 multiple, so that's a little bit cheaper. Bank of America is more expensive, I think, than the Canadian um, banks. Uh, the dividends of the U.S. banks are smaller, and you don't get the dividend yeah. tax credit, Canadian investors. Be aware of that.
But Citigroup is another one. That's been a incredible uh, stock that's gone boom to bust a couple of times in its in, in its day. Um, but it's the most global, uh, I think, of the uh, diversified financials. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's got a pretty uh, interesting dividend yield at three uh, percent, uh, but a six PE ratio. That means that company's generating a a twelve percent earnings yield. That means that if you if you own all the bank every year, it's going to make you twelve percent. And the question that when we've been talking about this, I want to bring at the beginning of the show and I, just to help fill, uh, set the table for you. These banks make money, a lot of it, each and every year. So if Citigroup has an earnings yield of 12%, that means it made 12% on its money. It pays you 3% in a dividend. It still has 9% uh, to, to deal with. And it, it, in other words, cash just accumulates on these financials. And, and as the cash accumulates, the valuation of the company goes higher. So again, the trend for these investments is just that. It's higher and they're investments if you treat them as such. And if you hold them for a five and 10 year period, I believe you'll be handsomely rewarded. You know, th this coming out of the, the COVID crash, COVID crisis is very different than, you know, the previous 10 years that we had. The great financial crisis, you had these banks, they were on their backs. They had to be, be totally recapitalized. Oh. The consumer, U.S. consumer was uh, negative equity, U.S. institutions. All of that stuff right now is actually quite the opposite. So you have very strong capital in these banks. You have a strong U.S. consumer. Um, U.S. Uh, U.S. institutions and and businesses have been recapitalized at exceptionally low rates. So as Scott's been talking about, the the tailwinds in the environment that we're in right now is very different than we had coming out of the great financial crisis. And it really took, I would say, ten years for these financial institutions to heal. So we'll see what the next, I think, ten years bring brings with them. Scott. Yeah, and just on Citigroup you're talking about, I think that could be the big catch-up trade because it's underperformed. You talked about it trading at six times earnings. I looked at it yesterday. It's at a price of the book of 0.6 times. Canadian banks trade at 1.8 times. Um, and uh, I think it trades at a discount because of the international. And they're trying to shave that off right now by selling one of its Mexico units. But uh, that one's interesting. And Goldman's also cheap. But Goldman's predominantly capital markets. Uh, well, we've got a large portion of that in our business too but at six times uh in an environment where capital markets are still doing well uh looks like good value as well yeah no these, these these banks are just printing money my friends uh and they're cheap uh it's hard to find something cheap out there and again when you come into a crisis oil hamburgers you know basic stuff when basic stuff goes cold Deep down in your gut, you have to ask yourself, is it going to survive and is it not worth the long-term investment down here? So hard to do, but that's how you make the real money. And perhaps that's in the marijuana sector right now. Jack and I are digging into that space a little bit more. Uh, it's a space that we really haven't delved in a whole lot, but it is cheap and they are making a lot of money. Obviously, federal regulation in the United States is what it's all about. And uh, as Jack always says, politics in the United States is a little wonky. Scott Chan, bank analyst, Canaccord Genuity, uh, middle of January, spending some time with us. Can't thank you enough, my good friend. You keep your pencil sharp and watch those income statements and balance sheets specifically. Balance sheets, I think, in Canadian banks is solid, and that's good news as well for investors. The money is relatively safe. Uh, indeed, it is. Scott, have a great weekend, my good friends. We're going to talk about the Canadian dollar uh, with Jeff Blanco, uh, Managing Director, uh, Head of Global Foreign Exchange at Canaccord right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, this train I ride on is a hundred coaches long. You can hear a whistle blow a hundred miles. If Welcome back, my friends. Jackie and Ryan, movie I just saw on Netflix. That's a soundtrack from it. So good. Little pick in there. Yes, about a drifter. Wants to just follow his heart and play music. He came from a rough family, no family, and so he rode on the back of trains. Sort of like, uh, not Boxcar Willie, uh, Stompin' Tom. Stompin' Tom, Canada's Canadian drifter. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, when, I, when I think Canada, I think about our railways, you know, connecting this beautiful country of ours from coast to coast. And little uh, Canadian dollar will take you along the way. Uh, Jeff Blanco, managing director of the Foreign Exchange. Had to figure out how to cue you up, buddy. So I figured that was the best way to do it. Put you on the back of a train and take you across Canada. Well, thank um, you very much and well, happy new year. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Well, look, uh, you know, petrol currency, Canadian dollar tied to, of course, resources. Um, do you know, Jack and uh, Jeff, that poplar type of wood, poplar, is as expensive as oak. Yep, oil's 85 buck a barrel. Uh, gold, you know, flirting with that, what, 1900 buck an ounce. Yeah, that's what we have in this country of ours. Uh, and it, of course, drives the Canadian dollar. Canadian dollar flirting with 80 cents. It seemed it did the same thing last year this time, uh, if I recall. Um, is there a seasonal aspect to the Canadian dollar, Jeff, in your uh, experience uh, trading currencies? Uh, I would say no. People like to think that all the time, but it, it always pops up in the in the opportune moment. So you look back and say, oh, yes, it did this every year, so therefore it's seasonal. But I would say in the big picture, no. At the end of the year, we were speaking, Jeff, and I said, well, what's going on with the U.S. dollar? Uh, it was the end of 2021, and you said settlements. So you said demand for U.S. dollar at the end of the year tends to take up. And that's exactly what was going on. Is that is that something that you would say is a seasonal factor for the Well, US it's not a it, that's a that's a funding factor. So it's not really a seasonal thing. And uh, it, some years it's more pronounced than others. Um, so I, I would not call that a seasonal thing. But uh, it's an, it it is a function of funding demand, which may or may not happen at year end. So um, just depend. So there's a lot of there's actually a lot of liquidity around. Um, the U.S. was providing tons of liquidity, but $1.5 trillion a day in the reverse repo market. So, um, you know, it, that certainly helped. Um, but it just depends on the situation on a year-to-year basis. Well, you know, what's incredible is U.S. bonds have a slightly higher yield, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, than Canadian bonds. Uh, am I, I'm right on that one, right, guys? U.S. bonds have a slightly higher yield than Canadian bonds. Um, I can see it right here. Canadian government... Yeah, the Canadian government, the 10-year, well, no, the 10-year in Canada is 1.72. The 10-year in America is 1.72. They're identical. The five-year in Canada is 1.5, and it's 1. They're identical. Wow. The 30-year, they're both 2%. Wow. That's so, actually, I've, that's never seen, I've never I've seen, seen them. I've, a long time. I know. That's why I like, again, friends, if you're just tuning in, a little money workshop. These are the type of chats Jack and I have each and every day with our counterparts just to discuss markets and trends and what's going on. And as we ask questions, we learn. That's what it's all about because things do change. Um, But the Canadian dollar, 
Jeff, uh, let's begin with where do you think it's going to go? It's just, again, flirting with 80 cents right now. Uh, how much higher do you think it can go? Uh, what's the downside on it? And what's your 12-month call on the Canadian dollar? And I ask that question because, you know, we as investors are encouraging our clients to take a, a, a global viewpoint and to begin with a global viewpoint, invest in America uh, for all those sectors that we don't have here in Canada. Uh, and with that gives you exposure to the U.S. currency, which, of course, fluctuates. So uh, it, is, it is a moving number. And right now it's uh, the Canadian dollar's strength is actually hurting uh, our performance in the market. Uh, it's only been a few days in the market, but it's you know, a little pinch. And I don't like the pinch. I think uh, central bank policy globally is going to be a major driver of currencies coming up in 2022. Now, we've seen a little bit of sell-off um, in the U.S. dollar just basically this week and most of it yesterday after the inflation coming out of the CPI. But I just view that more as a positioning and uh, maybe pricing out of some of the Omicron risks that were in the market. And uh, I think U.S. fundamentals are still strong and growth and productivity in the U.S. should outperform throughout the season. Um, but going back to the central bank policy thing, there are currently about six hikes priced in in Canada by the end of 2022 compared to four, you know, almost four in the U.S., uh, so by that, so by that stretch, um, you know, a lot of and there's 50% chance of a of a Bank of Canada hiking on Jan 26th uh, when they meet. Um, probably not going to happen, in my opinion. They'll probably wait till uh, wait till March and, and go with the Fed. Uh, but I don't see Canada out hiking the Fed in this year. Um, so I think you're going to see an opportunity to be buying U.S. dollars. We've seen commodity prices, as you mentioned earlier, are definitely helping the Canadian dollar at the moment. Um, the commodity that we produce in Canada are record highs when priced in Canadian dollars at the moment. So that's going to provide a little bit of support into Canada. And I think you'll see a little bit more of this um, position adjustment. So you'll see um, U.S. go down, U.S. CAD going down to 122 in my terms. I'm not sure what that is in your terms. Um, it's probably a downside for the U.S., and then 130 in the top side is uh, is is you know seems to be very tough resistance. So we're probably going to be in this 122, 130 for range. I prefer to look for levels to buy U.S. dollars, as I think, as I said before, U.S. fundamentals probably will 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 outperform um, the rest of the G10 going into to the end of 2022. Really, I'm going to talk about rising interest rates because that is the, you know the speak of 2022 uh, and then you you basically began your your, your your segment here talking about rising interest rates so you're saying the forecast um by wall street is that the bank of uh the, the u.s bank the central bank uh, is going to raise interest rates four times uh, but the speak is that canada will raise rates six times you and i both know as you said you don't see canada out hiking america but friends at home if you're looking to buy a home um, you know, four interest rate hikes means another 1% uh, or a potential doubling of your interest payment on your mortgage. Not doubling of your mortgage payment, but the interest payment on your mortgage. Well, how do you think the 10-year bond would react, um, gentlemen? Again, right now, the 10-year, so the 10-year bond in Canada and the United States is offering you a return of, call it 1.7%. Uh, would it be a full 1% uh, hike for the 10-year, uh, Jeff, if, if you got four rate hikes? Because each rate hike tends to be a quarter of a percent. Four hikes is a, is, is a full point. So do you think the 10-year Treasury would be trading at 2.7 uh, this time next year? I think with inflation running where it is globally, um, 7% annualized in the U.S. yesterday, rates have to go up. So I would not uh, be surprised to see us move up you know, 75 to 100 basis points in the in the 10-year area for sure. 
But that yeah. won't hurt the Canadian consumer because we're very heavily indebted here, as you are aware. You said that four rate hikes won't hurt the Canadian consumer because they're so heavily indebted here? No, I will say they were. They will hurt. If we get oh, wait, four six hikes in Canada, that will definitely hurt uh, the Canadian consumer. will hurt. Consumer. Thank, you. Thank you. I would agree with that. The fact that the amount of debt that people have out there in Canada, um, you know, you talk about a 1% rate hike, which doesn't sound that significant. But when you have a significant amount of debt uh, on a personal balance sheet, every quarter point is incrementally magnified, especially here in Canada. So we're one of the most indebted consumers out there, which is troubling, especially in a rising interest rate environment. But what, what, what is the world's viewpoint of, of, our, of our debt levels and, and, and of our potential, economically speaking, moving away or beyond resources? I, I think uh, the view of debt is very um, mild across the board at the moment because you, know, you look at what's going on in the U.S., look what's going on in Canada. I think our, our, we've spent more on COVID um, than any other country. Uh, right now, I don't think it's going to be a problem. It will be a problem when rates start going up because that will impact um, our ability to pay the interest on that. And that's going to be that's going to be a problem. Maybe we go back to the days of the good old bond vigilantes where uh, borrow too much money, you pay the piper. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break, uh, get right back talking about the Canadian dollar and the prospects for the Canadian economy with our head of foreign exchange, Mr. Jeff Blanco, Canaccord Genuity. Uh, real pleasure to have him back on the show. Stay tuned, my friends. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You ever been to Saskatoon? Jack? Jeff? I have been to Saskatoon, yes. Wolf, I was there I, one time. I have been there it too. It was not in the middle of the winter, though, thank God. Yeah, now Jeff, you're from uh, Holy Manitoba, and uh, you actually went home for Christmas, which is the, I guess, the festive thing to do. Uh, uh, but you said it was a little, little frigid out there, was it? Uh, yeah, minus forty-seven is what I would call a little frigid. <laughs> oh, 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 oh no! Why do people live there? You, the, you know, the, the, really, we, we were not meant to live in minus forty-seven weather. Uh, and it's very carbon-heavy when you live out there because you have to heat your home. Oh my God! With your triple car garage, that's probably heated with the toys in it. And you got to plug, uh, you, you plug your cars in and everything else. So, yeah, and we're not talking electric vehicles either, are we? Nope. Nope. Uh, but we're talking about the Canadian dollar and the prospects for the Canadian economy. Um, Definitely, I want to have some fun with you, if I may. I like to take you out of your comfort zone. Did that with Scott Chan earlier. Um, what do you think about crude oil? Uh, I have an opinion, a bit of an out, out, outlandish opinion as to where crude oil could go. But because, because as a Canadian, as oil goes, so goes the Canadian dollar. Uh, how high do you think oil can go? Uh, One hundred and fifty bucks. I how think the that? same thing. Good. For, <laughs> I like that. Wow. I, I wow. I said it last year. Uh, I think you can go to 150 bucks, and Jackie, you you agree, you know, that it can, it can get stretched. I'm not going to push you for a number here, but basically, a perfect storm's been set up, right, uh, Jack? Both politically and uh, I, I think I, well, fundamentally. I, I agree, and that I agree, and it may be a low number. Um, you tax oh. supply, which they're do, no, they're you tax supply, which they're doing globally, 
and we're not ready for the energy transition yet. So there's still lots of demand out there. We're still using more oil. Um, yeah, the energy prices can go higher and a lot higher than you expect. A real energy crisis could be brewing over the next three to five years. And don't forget yeah, the, the, ESG, trade's the, ESG of, the ESG movement is also making it very difficult for you know a lot of the oil companies to get funding too, right? Yeah, and to get, yeah, and to no, get pipelines. No, you, no you can't lay pipe. No pipe yeah. to move the stuff. Uh, you know, that's a, you know, a made in Canada problem, but it is still a problem for the Canadian uh, oil patch. Uh, well, $83 a barrel uh, right here, right now. I think it wants to push itself to par. What does that mean, friends? It means 100. Uh, back in the day, uh, stocks were issued at par, uh, which had a redeemable value at 100, although you couldn't really, they're usually non-redeemable, but I, I digress. Uh, Jeff, um, beyond oil, uh, you're seeing a lot of strength in the base metals. Uh, I said petrocurrency, but you throw base metals in the equation. How much more of an effect, or what is the correlation between base metal strength and Canadian dollar strength? Does it have the same impact as oil? Well, you know, keep in mind that things change. What impacts currencies changes quite often. Sometimes it's rate spreads, sometimes it's commodity prices, sometimes it's, uh, you know, the overall risk sentiment um, globally. Yep. Um, and Canada doesn't always go up when, when oil goes up. It doesn't really, I don't think that happens. Um, but sometimes it works that way, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and if you get much higher oil prices, you get higher inflation, um, you get higher, you know, the already indebted consumer in Canada, you know, has to pay more for everything. The economy may not do so well, even though oil, you know, is continuing to go up. So just because oil goes up, if we say 150 bucks out of the, you know, picking that out of a hat, um, doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing for Canada. Yeah, no, you make a good point. So for, for 2022, I, I, you're going to basically say interest rate differentials, but the difference between our interest rates and American interest rates uh, will have a greater impact on the Canadian dollar. Because if, if, if everyone raises interest rates the same amount, there will be no currency uh, advantage one way or the other. Uh, right. And, but that's not probably going to happen. You're looking at, uh, you know, Europe is, you know, they might, might not raise rates in 2022 at all. Um, you might get somewhere like New Zealand up six, six hikes like Canada priced in Australia, three UK, three US four. So the, the deviation in central bank policy will be a driver. Yep, and I very don't interesting. You're, gonna you're not going to see everybody raise the same. Is there still negative yield out there, guys? Uh, yes, there is. In Europe, there is. Yeah. yeah. Negative yield. Remember that, friends? About a year ago, we were talking about that when, uh, well, you lend someone $100, and they promise to pay you back $99 after 10 years. Is that a good deal? Huh. Someone thought it was. Uh, <laughs> everyone's still scratching at who were buying those bonds. And you know who the answer to the question is? Who was buying those negative yield bonds? The central banks were buying their own paper. That's where the game got real wonky. It's just the way it works. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to accept, hey eh, guys? Isn't that the truth, guys? You know, when, when, cause the world is complicated. And when you start to really think it through, you can get a little bummed out. It's something you sort of just got to accept if they work and they're going to continue to work. Uh, I'll give you 30 seconds on that statement, Jeff. Well, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens when, uh, when globally they stop buying their own bonds, uh, go to quantitative tightening instead of quantitative easing, which is, you know, expected to happen um, in the U S uh, before the end of this year coming up. Um, and people are used to the, the, you know, the old central bank put all the time. So if they start to do quantitative tightening, you see the markets come off, they, everyone's going to expect the, the fed to bail them out again. Inflation running at 7% might not happen. So uh, it could be a very interesting ride going into uh, the end of 2022 for those reasons. 
Yeah, well, you make some very valid points. And again, you know, if you don't understand all the jargon, friends, really what we're talking about is cheap, easy money, like a big punch bowl. And at some point, you got to take the punch bowl away so people leave the party because you got to clean up after the mess. Uh, and when the party ends, eh, not so much fun. So be aware. That's all it is. Head yourself. Work with experts. Give us a call. WolfgateKlein.com anytime. Jack Hartle, producer of the show. Excellent job as always. Jeff Blanco, managing director, Foreign Exchange Canada Genuity. Friends, stay safe. We'll speak with you next Saturday right here on Global News 640 Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.